You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. This is Walter. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savvis Learning Company. I'm so glad to welcome Dr. Katie Topple with me today. Dr. Topple is a K-5 language specialist serving multilingual learners in Oregon and is a longtime SIOP teacher. Katie serves on the Savvis SIOP advisory panel and is a valued session presenter at the annual SIOP conference. In addition, she's the co-founder and leader of MLL Chat Book Club on Twitter, which offers ongoing book studies focused on improving instruction for multilingual learners. Katie's also the co-author of the forthcoming book, DIYPD, a guide to self-directed learning for educators of multilingual learners, along with Carol Salva and Tan Nguyen. Dr. Topple, it's so great to have you with us today. Thanks, Walter. I'm so excited to be on the show. I've been a teacher for 15 years, and I can wholeheartedly say that I am a better educator because of SIOP. I'm so excited to have the opportunity to host today's podcast and chat with the three authors who are legendary in our field. For those of you out there who are unfamiliar with SIOP, it originally stood for Sheltered Instruction Observation Protocol, but now we use it as its own word. We often say that we SIOP, our, we are SIOPing our lessons, we are SIOPers, we kind of use it as any different part of speech we can make it fit with. Um, SIOP is a research-based instructional framework that makes grade-level content comprehensible or more understandable for learners while simultaneously fostering academic language development. And we will dig into that more once we get into our questions. With me today, I have Dr. Jana Echevarria, Professor Emerita at California State University, Long Beach, and a founding researcher of the SIOP model. Dr. Echevarria has published widely on effective instruction for English learners, including those with learning disabilities. Jana, it is so great to have you on today. Thanks so much for having me, Katie. Also with us today is Dr. Marianne Vogt, who is also a founding co-author of the SIOP model and Professor Emerita at California State University, Long Beach. Dr. Vogt is a reading specialist, former special education teacher, and past president of the International Literacy Association. Marielle, I'm so happy that you're joining us today. Thanks, Katie. I'm happy to be here. Finally, also joining us today is Dr. Deborah Short founding researcher of the SIOP model and director of academic language research and training. Dr. Short has served as division director at the Center for Applied Linguistics and has directed research for the U.S. Department of Education and the U.S. Department of Justice, among others. She's also past president of the TESOL International Association. Dr. Short, so honored to have you with us today. Delighted to be here with everyone, Katie. I am excited to hear what you all have to say today, and I know that our listeners will have the opportunity to learn so much from you. So let's jump into our questions. Every year, we hope all students will experience high-quality instruction. We know that an optimal education for every multilingual learner starts with high-quality teaching, and SIOP provides a high-quality teaching framework because it accommodates students' language learning needs while also teaching grade-level content. Essentially, it makes content comprehensible while also fostering academic language development. Can you tell us why SIOP has the dual focus on making content comprehensible and fostering academic language development? Jenna, let's start with you. Okay, thanks, Katie. Yeah, well, recent research clarifies the importance of English language acquisition for multilingual learners, but it can't come at the expense of learning grade level content material. We don't want to isolate English language learners and 
prohibit them from re, uh, learning the same content as other students. So PSYOP provides a guide for teachers to plan lessons that help multilingual learners access the content, but also capitalizing on language learning opportunities. When development of the PSYOP began in the 1990s through a research grant sponsored by the U.S. Department of Education, the number of multilingual learners in the U.S. schools was increasing, but there wasn't an agreed upon approach for helping students access grade level material and simultaneously develop English language skills. So sheltered instruction techniques were used in some general education and ESL classes, but in practice, it was typically just a hodgepodge of techniques such as using pictures, illustrations, models, graphs, and so forth. So through the seven-year research grant, we developed an empirically validated observation protocol to observe whether or not teachers incorporated key shelter techniques consistently in their lessons. And the protocol evolved into an instructional framework called the PSYOP model. PSYOP, as you said, makes content meaningful for students who are not yet proficient in the language of instruction in a number of ways by using techniques and strategies uh, that make grade level materials accessible to multilingual learners, by providing students with opportunities to work together in productive groups, um, by making connections between the lesson and students' lived experiences, and by offering choice when practicing and applying the lesson's language and concepts, among other characteristics. The linguistic aspect uh, comes in because language is learned and practiced in context, uh, in PSYOP lessons. Language learning is infused into content lessons by having a language objective in addition to content objectives, the content that will be learned. So language objectives clarify the language skills and or vocabulary that students need to be successful in the lesson. Clarifying the lesson's language demands by writing language objectives is really helpful for teachers because they then reflect on the language uh, that is gonna be needed to teach or review with the students and it makes language learning transparent for students. There's no guessing about what specific aspect of language development students will be focusing on. So PSYOP's uh, features reflect 21st century skills in communication, collaboration, critical thinking, and so forth. I remember earlier on in my teaching career when I thought that, and I think this was true, that classrooms were evaluated. Well, you're a good teacher if the principal walks in and your classroom is quiet. Mm -hmm. And PSYOP really taught me that that is not at all what I want the principal to see when they walk into my classroom. I want the principal to see that students are talking and demonstrating that they know what they're learning. And that becomes so clear when you have content and language objectives posted that anybody can come into the classroom and know exactly what it is that you're focusing on, which also can help instructional assistants who might come in mid-lesson to support learners or other teachers. I know as a co-teacher, um, you know, I'll join the classroom and having those objectives really helps for everyone to be on the same page. And I, since I've consistently written content and language objectives, my focus on my lessons has become so clear. It's just been such a wonderful tool to really narrow down what it is that we're working on so that 
everything is directly connected to those objectives. The clarity is wonderful. <laughs> Debbie, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, Katie, um, Jen has explained some of the key features of SIOP that make it a high quality instruction and also effective for multilingual learners. We have quite a bit of empirical research now over the past 20 years, some of which has been conducted in, much of it's been conducted in the US, but even in other countries like South Korea and Colombia, Morocco, Canada, they're all looking at the ways that SIOP helps students learn content and learn language. So we've seen that SIOP can be effective in a variety of subject area classes, such as a language arts class, a history class, or science class. It can be effective in different programs like an ESL, ELD program, or a dual language program, or English as a foreign language. And it's effective at different grade levels. The research on, our, on student outcomes when teachers use the model shows that the SIOP students outperform their peers in reading tests, science curriculum tests, standardized tests of math and, and language arts, for example. But we know that fidelity to the model is very important. So it was great to hear you talk about how you write language objectives and you have content objectives and you're, they drive your instruction. Because we know that the higher level of implementation, the better students perform. And this is true for, for all students who have been in these classes. They can be students who are currently in an English language development program, students who have exited that program, students who have English as their first language, and students with disability. So you initially asked why SIOP has a dual focus. This dual focus shows us that we can grow multilingual learners' language and their content knowledge in one class. So what we want to avoid is that misconception that language learners receive their language instruction outside of their classroom and that it is a responsibility that is delegated to the language teacher. And when they come back into their classroom, those needs are not accounted for. SIOP makes sure that the language needs are at the forefront of the instruction in the general education classroom or the content classroom. I want to talk for a moment about that word you used, fidelity, because as a teacher, sometimes when I hear fidelity, it makes me feel like I'm going to lose all control over what I'm allowed to do because I have to follow a script. And with SIOP, it's not that because SIOP is a framework and it shows teachers these essential components that need to be part of lesson planning and lesson delivery. But SIOP itself is so flexible that it can be used in conjunction with a scripted program. It can be used for a teacher who is staring at a blank piece of paper or a blank computer screen, creating a lesson from scratch. And so the fidelity is that teachers really need to account for all of the components and features. But as someone who I consider myself a pretty creative teacher, and I, I really like to use that in my classroom. And I find that I can be so creative with SIOP because it's not dictating how I need to teach and how I need to carry out lessons specifically. It's just really guiding me in the essential pieces that need to be there so that my learners get what they need. And I love that because sometimes fidelity is scary, but not, not Messiah. <laughs> well said. Um, Thanks so much for the insight so far, so far about why we need to really merge content instruction with language instruction. And Debbie, you mentioned some of the different types of classes that can work with SIOP. What types of class do you see SIOP fitting best with? Mary Ellen, let's start with you. 
Okay. Um, as Debbie said, PSYOP is appropriate for a, for a number of different contexts, uh, such as any classroom where there are students who need instruction with a dual focus on academic content and academic language. That pretty much opens the uh, book to anybody, right? Um, we also know that PSYOP is appropriate for uh, students who struggle with academic English. Again, many of those students are not multilingual learners uh, in our schools and our classrooms, but certainly our multilingual learners will benefit them. It's, it's imperative that we have this instruction, the PSYOP instruction with our multilingual learners. Also, students uh, who need or benefit from differentiated instruction will be successful in PSYOP, PSYOP classes because one thing that we've discovered over the years is that the more we know PSYOP and the more we implement PSYOP into our lessons, the more we recognize the need for differentiation. It's almost like a side benefit, a side piece of the PSYOP model. So I would say, Katie, that in essence, PSYOP is appropriate for any classroom with almost any mix of students. And that's really a wonderful, wonderful thing considering you have, I teach kindergarten as one of the grade levels I co-teach with. So the PSYOP framework works equally well in a general education kindergarten classroom as it does in a high school level biology class where you have students who are newcomers. So there's so much flexibility because the core components and features are, are flexible in how they can be adapted to different age levels of students and also different language levels of students. Well, I want to add one more thing, and I think it's really important, is that for those people who may be listening who are university folks, uh, higher education, uh, community college, um, PSYOP is used. In fact, I, in my graduate classes, I use PSYOP. I PSYOPize all of my graduate classes because last semester I had three um, students in there who were multilingual learners themselves and really needed the benefits of PSYOP. So we're not just limiting, limiting PSYOP to the K-12 market that we, it goes all the way up through adult education as well. That's a great point, because when you think about adult learners, the last thing they want is to sit in front of a lecture for 90 minutes. They want to talk to their peers and they want to be able to interact and chew on what they're learning about and gain other perspectives. And so the PSYOP focus on interaction and, and application of content is so important. I'm going to steal that if I ever teach college again. Um, Debbie, how about you? Did you have something to add? Well, you know... Maybe I could just give the listeners the inside scoop a little bit. Back when we first designed the PSYOP model, we were envisioning it for subject area teachers, for the math teacher or the science teacher, for example. But within about the first year of our first research study, we saw it was incredibly appropriate for language teachers as well, because content-based language instruction is essential for our multilingual learners to strengthen their academic language and to learn the genres and routines of those content classrooms. PSYOP really the ideal instructional framework for, for those language classes too. And students will benefit if all teachers during their school day use SIA. I know that when I, in the past, taught in a pullout model, I would, even though I was using a, a prescribed program, I would SIAPize my units and make sure that I was infusing the SIAP components and features. But I also use it as a, a blueprint for co-teaching because it's such a wonderful tool when collaborating with classroom teachers to make sure that in reference to the grade level content that they're teaching, we're able to craft lessons where students are also simultaneously learning language and getting opportunities to talk with partners and um, 
express their understanding of what we're learning. And I remember being observed by my principal when I was teaching in kindergarten and he was making tally marks of the number of opportunities for response. And it was, his pencil was very busy because students were, it was just such a lively, busy lesson where students were vocalizing so much and getting that oral practice and talking with partners and then shifting into writing and um, just that that shift to making sure that language is so present in lessons in, in the general education classroom, because I do worry that there's that belief that compliance and quiet is pro- productivity. And that's, you know, that's just, that's not true. And we want to make sure that that's not a widespread a way that we see students in classrooms. Before we go further, I want to talk about something that we're seeing in the field, something that we're seeing and hearing a lot in the field right now, which is the term multilingual learners being used. And we're shifting from saying English learners to now saying multilingual learners. So I want to hear about why, why that shift is happening. Mary Ellen, let's start with you. Okay. Uh, Well, for years, we've known that many of our students, uh, for many of our students, English is not their second language. It may be a third or fourth language. Um, Also, the term English learners, unfortunately, has become somewhat pejorative, implying less than or perhaps even a, a deficit perspective. Now, our research has shown that when some teachers see the designation English learner, they hold lower expectations for these students. Now, both of these examples suggest that something's missing with the students. But in contrast, multilingualism represents an asset perspective, that these students are bringing to the classroom their knowledge, their understanding of of two or more languages. How lucky they are. I wish I were that way myself. Um, On a practical level, uh, the name change from English learners to multilingual learners is necessary because the SIOP model is now being uh, researched and implemented not only across the United States, but also in multiple countries. So therefore, the term will not apply English learners to countries outside of the U.S. except as a world language. The term multilingual learners, on the other hand, is usable in any country and in in any context. Jenna, what are your thoughts? Well, I would only add that there's growing awareness that one's language is tied to culture. And by privileging English over a student's home language, it sends the message that their language and culture are somehow less than. So the term multilingual learner does not imply um, that it's not important or minimize the importance of learning English because students need English acquisition for uh, being successful in school, for going on to college and careers. So the the importance of English is maintained. However, the term multilingual learner uh, recognizes the assets that students bring to the classroom, their home language and their culture. I was in a a Zoom yesterday with a group of educators that just through Twitter decided to get together to talk about culturally responsive teaching. And this is one of the things that we were talking about, about the the shift and how even in our field, there's kind of been a slow shift toward using the term multilingual learners and how for even language specialists, it's not it's we're not fully there yet. It's it's becoming more widespread and we're shifting because of the asset-based terminology. 
Um, but there is a need to make sure that our colleagues come along with us and that for other staff members that we may interact with in schools, that they might need some of that context behind why we're shifting the name change and also just that background of really asset versus deficit-based language. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to Carly Spina, who had a wonderful session at the SIOP conference this year. Um, and she talked a lot about how we how we talk about our students and how we talk to our students and how we need to really make sure we have language norms amongst our staff so that in meetings, when we are speaking about students, our language is positive and it's carefully selected so that we are bringing forth those assets and not defaulting to they can't, they don't know, they lack, because that really does exist in our field. And that's something that um, is part of that shift we're really aiming for is really focusing on the positives and what, what students bring because they have so many strengths. And being able to speak two languages or three or four is such an asset. And that's such a wonderful thing. This year, when I had my first grade groups online, I started doing affirmations. So because they were coming from different teachers and then joining my group, we kind of had this as a ritual to just come together and honor that we are a, a little different community. And one of the affirmations I put on my list was, I am bilingual or I am multilingual. And I had to explain what it meant because for first graders, bilingual, multilingual, those were big words. Uh, but I just loved when that was the affirmation that kids selected. And then they would extend it and say, I'm bilingual because I speak English and Spanish, or I speak English and Marshallese. Mm -hmm. And there were some fun discussions because of it. And then they got to the point where they wanted to layer on different affirmations and they would say, oh, I'm an important part of this group and, and I'm bilingual. My teachers care about me. And it was just, it was such a beautiful way to start because you could see them sit taller because they're recognizing that the fact that their mom or dad or grandma speaks another language and they do too, that's wonderful. And I love to kind of help them develop that pride because that's not something that necessarily happens in schools and it should, but um, that's something that I really want students to recognize in themselves. Let's go ahead and go. Oh, go I just had a thought just for a second. And that was the number of times I've heard teachers say, well, English learners, everybody's an English learner, you know, everybody's an English learner, but sets this aside. And I'm thinking as you're speaking, multilingual learners is, is, is an honorarium. I mean, that that's how I would like it to be seen. You know, the, yes, we're all English learners and we're all proud of that. But uh, the multilingualism is, is, a, is a badge that people should wear proudly. Yeah, I, ha I had a one of my first graders this year who told me she wants to be a teacher. And I always love it when students say they want to be a teacher. And I said, how cool is it that if you become a kindergarten or first grade teacher, that when students come in and they're learning English, that you are going to be a bilingual teacher and you can help them because you can speak Spanish to them and you can help them learn English. And I just imagine that the future generations of teachers being bilingual and, and just demonstrating you know, how special that is, because the more languages you speak, the more people you can speak with and connect with. And that's just a beautiful thing. Hey everyone, it's Walter. That's all the time we have for today, but we're going to pick up the conversation where we left off in the next Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast episode. In the meantime, you can keep the conversation going on social media by following at Savas Learning or at SIOP Model on Twitter. And be sure to visit savas.com backslash SIOP to learn more. 
This special SIOP podcast series is presented by Savvis Learning Company, a next-generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. Visit savvis.com today. Learn with us.